Thanks for joining us for this edition of the EC Insights Podcast. I'm joined this week by our technical director in Europe, Steve Petter. Thanks for joining us, Steve. That's great. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your role in energy consulting and, and what you're working on, predominantly externally. Yeah, I, my role is to is in the European team. I'm responsible for the the power economics analysis work we do in Europe uh, to support both external customers and internal GE customers understand how uh, generation assets will operate in the in European markets as we move forward over the next anywhere between next year to the next 15 years. What are some of the challenges that the uh, European electric power industry is facing into today that you're looking at? The, the European market has, has been in a state of, of massive change over the last five to ten years, uh, driven by a number of things. Uh, d- demand has, has not grown uh, uh, that much since the, uh, the downturn in 2008, and we've still not reached the, the levels of demand we had in 2008 in a number of countries across Europe. And that, coupled with very strong growth in renewable energy, has put... Uh, Great, great challenges on both uh, the, uh, the energy markets, both in, uh, in, in terms of infrastructure and in, in terms of uh, design and operation. That's interesting. So you talk about renewables being at the root of it to a certain degree and then not rebounding on demand from uh, the most recent downturn. Is there anything else at the root uh, of some of these challenges? I think those those two uh, aspects have, have caused a number of other uh, other issues in a sort of cascading effect. The the growth in renewables uh, on the system has resulted in an, a large amount of existing generation being being challenged from a uh, from a economic point of view. To the extent there is a large amount of what the generators in Europe call missing money that they they no longer able to recover from the market, and that is is posing challenges of keeping those existing plant on the system that may be required. For, for balancing or security supply reasons. In addition, the, 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 the growth of renewables has caused challenges uh, for, for a locational point of view, where they've, they've ended up uh, you know, being built in areas that was never foreseen when the transmission grids were built uh, you know, 50, 100 years ago. And, and that, is, that has created great challenges in, in European markets, whereby the, the flow of power has, has changed massively over the last 10 years. Uh, and and how do we adapt to, to deal with that in, in, in a most cost-effective manner is, I think, one of the big challenges facing the, the European uh, system in the next few years. And you talked about at a very high level just now what some of those challenges are. Uh, what could the impacts to the electric power system be if those challenges aren't addressed in the near and in the long term, both economically and from a power flow T&D perspective? Well, I think the, the biggest uh, the biggest impact is uh, potentially we will we will see you know local areas of of shortage if we're unable to flow the power from from the renewable. Uh, Generation to the the sites of demand, then the the areas of high demand could could experience power shortages, or or at the very least very very ex, uh, very high price spikes as as um, existing thermal generation maybe you know oil fired generation needs to be called on to provide that shortfall when the when the renewable energy is is not available. So from a from a fundamental point of view, I think we're, the, the shortages are the big big issue. But then as we move forward. Uh, you know, there, there really needs to be a look of how do we how do we best redesign the power markets in Europe 
to to address these challenges. What are what are the challenges in the next you know few years? Well, it's 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 going to be about how do we how do we balance the system given the the, the amount of renewables on the on the grid. Uh, you know, wind and solar both have uh, intermittency problems. Uh, wind in some ways is more forecastable, but but solar can be here one minute and gone the next depending on cloud cover so these are some of the the challenges that system operators face moving forward and i i see that the, the electricity markets are going to have to adapt and we're going to have to focus more on on balancing within day generation just not just the traditional uh day ahead generation that we've always tended to look at so you talk about uh, you know intermittent solar and renewables and wind in particular. Uh, I should say wind and solar in particular uh, being a challenge for the system. Do they also present an opportunity for Europe? Of course, so it's an opportunity. I think we've seen you know huge huge growth in, in both of those technologies. The growth in the technologies is is, is, is you know driven down costs, um, encouraged innovation. You know if, if we look at the sort of wind technology that is going on and uh, going into these countries now, and the and the sort of yields we get. You know that that incredible uh, rapid. Uh, you know improvements in that technology over the last ten years, and we're seeing the same in solar. Um, and, and where we see that going is that we we expect parity in some of these technologies as we move forward. That they they can actually, uh, you know, be deployed without the the sort of level of subsidies we've seen in the past. So that that is that is great from a, a system point of view, and I think it's great from a, a you know a global point of view when we start looking at those technologies to be rolled out into some of the third world countries that it you know is is the aim over the next you know 20 10 to 20 years so based on the study work you've done and you're currently doing uh, what are some of the avenues countries in Europe uh, have to plan and mitigate for some of the challenges you've talked about I think what we're seeing we're seeing a, a you know a, an in-depth review of market design across Europe and it's the move uh, away from just considering a, a traditional day ahead market to to understanding that there, there is a we need to almost encapsulate everything within market design. It's the day ahead, it's the balancing, the ancillary services. All that needs to be captured when we're, we're looking at market design and we need to come up with something that encourages the, the best mix of technologies onto the system to meet the challenges in each of those markets. We don't just need you know inflexible thermal generation, whether that be coal, nuclear or, or, or CGTs to come on, 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 onto the market to meet day ahead needs. We need to have you know, highly flexible generation that can ramp up and ramp down in, in the balancing markets to meet the challenges of, of renewable generation. So that is where I think we're beginning to see a, a move in Europe. It's still early days, but, you know, I, I think the, the policymakers are beginning to understand that. And I and, and I do believe we'll, we'll start to see a number of markets look to see how best they can, they can open up the, 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 the balancing within day markets to competition uh, for, for the least cost. So that's, that's where we're moving to now, but you know, it, is, it is still early. One of the benefits of being at GE is we get to have a global perspective. We have uh, folks like yourself in Europe and then obviously the larger part of our energy consulting team here in the U.S. When you look at the two different markets, Europe and North America, uh, what are some of the things that Europe, how Europe is doing things differently and then also how things are working similarly to the United States and what lessons can we draw from them? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And, and the, the, the U.S. markets uh, and, and European markets have, have 
been designed on 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 a similar level in terms of how the electricity markets work. But the the one main fundamental difference is transmission. In the in the US, uh, dispatch of of power assets is very much down to transmission. If you can transmit the power, you can dispatch. Where within the European markets, transmission to a, to a broad extent isn't included in the dispatch. Um, within each market, uh, generating assets will dispatch, and then any transmission constraints or impacts will be dealt with after the event, and, and generators will will be kept whole. Um, I think as we we move forward in Europe, we need to look at the the lessons from the US and and, and the lessons of transmission because I believe that they've managed to integrate a, you know a large amount of renewables onto the onto the systems and, and potentially can integrate a, a large more amount more renewables onto the US systems because of the way they they handle tra- transmission and and they they deal with that as as part of the overall system. Um, you know I know. You know the energy consulting group here in the US has done a lot of work on on supporting the uh, TSOs and, and understanding how much renewables we can get onto the system. Whereas in, in Europe, I don't think we've taken that forward-looking view uh, uh, to the to the same level. We've, we've, the, the renewables have tended to come on. There's a priority of dispatch for for renewables. Uh, the the the, the EU targets uh, to, to deploy renewables mean a, a lot of these projects get grid connection relatively easy easily and that has caused challenges elsewhere on the on the system as I mentioned earlier so that that is one area I believe that we, we need to look to the US in terms of transmission and maybe that's something that we need to bring back into the into the into the markets here so transmission becomes an, an important part of the, the the electricity market along with as I said within day balancing things like that which all interlink to a certain certain extent. So what's happening in Europe that the U.S. could take advantage of? What are some of the best practices we're seeing there that maybe we could learn from and apply here, particularly if we think about from a distributed DER perspective? Yeah, I think distributed generation has has uh, grown very strongly in Europe, and I think that's partly uh, due to the uh, you know the, the dense population nature in Europe, which does encourage the deployment of, of generation uh, close to the demand centres. Some of the renewable issues we've had in the uh, recently with with uh, deployment away from the demand centres also encourages you know a, a, a generation close to the dis- demand centre. Some of the lessons we've learned, for example, if you're if you're looking at uh, the, the the advantages of distributed generation in terms of avoided um, transmission network charges, it's how do, uh, how that that the avoidance of those charges manifests itself. For example, in the in the UK, uh, the the transmission charges are split between generation and demand, which means that a, a distributed generator um, can actually, in effect, receive a payment be, uh, from from suppliers because they can offset some of their demand gener- uh, transmission generation charges. And if you have a payment rather than an avoided cost, you can monetize that payment. That helps some of the financing of these projects uh, going forward because it's a revenue stream, and it's a, a revenue stream's a lot easier to monetize and, and value than a, than an avoided cost. So that's one example. Um, but you know, I, I think there were there were uh, you know multiple other examples uh, we're seeing uh, within Europe. Certainly, a, a lot of growth of uh, as well as the distribution resource. It's the the sort of distributed um, CHP. So we're seeing a lot of small-scale uh, cogeneration plant come in uh, into the networks, which are providing uh, both heat and, and and electricity, and that that is uh, you know, provides a great value to 
uh, both you know industries and municipalities in Europe. So another strong area of growth that the potential could be replicated elsewhere. That's great, Steve. Uh, relative to, to the generation mix in Europe, again, based on the study work that you've been doing and, and the work that you've been seeing in Europe, where do you see the generation mix sh- shifting, excuse me, uh, based on the work we've done so far? Yeah, um, again, we're seeing, a, we're seeing a, a quite a transition in, in Europe in the generation mix, uh, driven to an extent by the, the growth in wind and solar. So that is pushing some of the, the older technologies um, down the merit order and, and potentially out. So we've seen quite a large amount of closure of, of some of the older oil fire plant that, that had, had been in Europe and had been on the system. So a, a lot of that is that been closed. We're also seeing a, a shift away from coal to a certain, certain extent. Um, Perhaps slower than was originally envisaged when we uh, we had the um, the carbon market introduced in the EU uh, into the EU around 2004. It was expected that that would push out coal um, over over five to ten years, but because of uh, the 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 downturn in 2008, um, the the the, the carbon prices have remained very low because we, we in effect met the uh, met the uh, CO2 levels through demand destruction rather than, than than changes in generation. But it is what we are seeing now is that we're we're getting beyond that. We're, uh, we're getting to the next phases of, of some of this uh, the CO2 markets where prices will start to track up. The EU is, is starting to do take some action to push up carbon prices. And in addition, we've seen gas prices come down from, from some of the high prices we've had in recent years. So those things coupled together are, are pushing against coal. Um, so we'll see a move away from coal, but it will still remain an important source of generation in a number of countries in Europe because of security of supply issues, uh, local production, uh, things like that. But it, it's not going to be such an important uh, uh, part of the generation mix. Um, for example, in, in, you know, the UK government has, has an aspiration to have the majority of the coal plant closed by 2023. The other area we're seeing is, you know, will there be a growth in nuclear, or have we have, have has nuclear plateaued? There's only a couple of plant nuclear plant currently under construction in Europe and, and France and and Finland, uh, but they're both uh, overrunning running uh, horrendously, and 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 that has put pressure on, you know, the the, the viability of, of nuclear. Um, and it'd be it'd be interesting to see what happens as we move forward. We know the UK is committed to new nuclear, but there's you know. No, no one, no, no one is yet committed to, to building those plant. Uh, and and I think the the other move will will still be the the, the continued growth of distributed generation resources. So I think we're still going to see a large growth of that, coupled with you know some form of de- demand side management as well uh, as we move forward. So when you think about this generation mix change, uh, what does that mean when you kind of move the power onto the grid? What challenges it pose for the system? You talked about balancing a little bit earlier. Uh, what about with grid congestion or anything else really? Can you help us understand uh, what the impacts are to the system when you see a generation shift like this over the next several years? Yeah, well, I, I think it, it, the, the, both the, the um, infrastructure and the markets that were designed in Europe were, you know, the, the infrastructure over 100 years, even the markets um, now, you know, getting towards 20 years, you know, they were designed in an era where the, the the markets were either predominantly thermal or maybe some form of thermal hydro coordination. They they weren't designed around renewables. They weren't designed around distributed generation. So what we're seeing uh, is is uh, a, the 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 
the consequences of you know, of the the sort of intermittent renewable generation is that we're we're seeing a lot more intermittency, a lot more uh, requirements for for balancing generation to 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 meet the gap when when that generation isn't required. Uh, we're we're seeing the need for uh, the similarly that that generation to the, to, to bring up the, the uh, to compensate for the the transmission uh, issues that might be on uh, on the network at any given moment. So that the 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 growth in the balancing market uh, is, is result a lot more volume of power being traded through those markets in individual countries and a lot a lot more uh, you know potential for revenue for those markets and we talked to a number of generating companies in in Europe and they they see ancillary services as the as the market where they're making making money uh, the day ahead markets they they, they dispatch in because they. Either they require to or or they need to, but there there isn't the same level of premium. So they are they are focused on the ancillary services markets, the balancing markets to to make up that that shortfall. And it's going to be as we move forward. It's it's it, it, the system operators and designers will need to uh, need to ensure that sufficient generation is is available on those markets to both meet the the needs for balancing, but also to to ensure we're not going to see you know huge price spikes or or, or something like uh, towards that line in the balancing market because we just don't have the right sort of generation uh, to to meet those needs. So. I, I know GE over the last five years has, has talked a lot about flexibility and the need for flexibility, but you know I think we're now seeing seeing this uh, the reality that that the, the plant that can you know ramp up quickly can come online quickly will be will be remunerated and and, and be incentivized uh, through these through these markets because that's what the system is lacking. It's not lacking base load generation. It's 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 lacking uh, flexible fast start fast response generation. And obviously we've got a lot of that technology in GE and, and we're deploying it uh, now to, to customers around the world. Uh, take a minute though to, to help us understand, uh, when you look at what's happening in Europe, what are some of the more proactive countries doing uh, to address some of these challenges? What are some of the best practices that you're seeing, whether it's economic dispatch or system planning? Yeah, I think um we're seeing uh, no, the market I know the most is, is the uh, United Kingdom because that's, uh, that's where I'm based and, and that's been one of the markets that we've seen a quite a bit of change over the last few years um, we've seen uh, the, the introduction of a, a capacity market to, to try and reward capacity to, to uh, you know bridge the gap of the missing money I talked about earlier and to ensure capacity stayed on the system uh, we've, we've, we've seen changes uh, to 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 incentivize a, a renewables there and and, and an adaption a, a realization that the existing uh, renewable schemes were perhaps over incentivizing uh, generation so being flexible to, to to come up with a scheme that you know remunerates generation to a sufficient level uh, such that it is viable but not to stress the system by having too much of that capacity coming on at any given time uh, and but in saying that you know that the UK you know, still needs to, to do a lot more. It, it needs to address the, the issue around flexibility and, and balancing markets. And I think that will be the, the next challenge for the UK is, is how, to, how, to, how to 
ensure that the right sort of capacity is on 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 the balancing market and and one thing is gee we we you know proposed and and at the time of of the introduction of the capacity market is that we should be looking at a a, a capacity obligation that is is linked to the the balancing and within day market not necessarily the day ahead market and i think other countries have picked up on that so i think some of the the the, 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 the countries france germany places like that even italy are, are looking at you know how do we how do we incentivize uh, capacity that that is that is the type of capacity we need to, to balance the systems. Um, other things we're seeing in Europe is similar to the the UK. We're seeing a, a move away from uh, renewable tariff schemes that are that are perhaps feed in tariffs that uh, can can over reward uh, over incentivise capacity. Was you know the the, the the growth in renewables in, in Spain and Germany in particular has been very high, and I, I think there's now a, a realisation it was that we we cannot continue to grow the renewables at that rate. So it's uh, looking at it's sort of uh, renewable schemes that are that that incentivise generation, but take into account the cost of that generation as well. It's a great lead into the next question. So speaking of renewables, uh, the COP21 agreement was signed in Europe uh, just a few months ago now. Uh, from what you can tell so far, what sense do you have of the impact the agreement will have across Europe and maybe in specific countries relative to, to the energy space? I think the, the COP21 agreement itself in Europe probably won't, uh, within the European uh, um Environment may not have a have a huge impact because we already had quite a quite a strong renewable um, uh, you know targets and policy as part of the EU and and that hasn't changed. Where I see the COP twenty one having an impact is globally because it's it, it it's gonna you know it's gonna rely on some of the countries in Europe and and elsewhere to to help and to support the deployment of of renewable technologies and, and markets which could not support those technologies from a cost perspective uh, perspective themselves you know it, it's still going to be expensive to put wind and solar into into certain markets and they will still need to be subsidized uh, and in in the third world co- countries you can't expect consumers to suddenly you know pay for for the, for the deployment of of those technologies which are you know potentially for the benefit of you know the world as as a whole so i think we'll we'll start to see uh, the, the technologies uh, that that improvements and, and the cost improvements that have been driven out of, uh, you know, Europe, US, and these places, uh, helping the deployment of of technologies elsewhere, along with potentially some some form of, uh, you know, assistance and assistance in some manner. Uh, that's that's where I see the COP twenty one helping us. It's more on a global uh, basis than a, than a Europe, necessarily European basis. Steve, that's great insight, and you've answered uh, all the questions I could think of today. So I guess just one last opportunity for you. Is there anything that we haven't addressed yet that you, you think is worth uh, pointing out for our listeners? Um, no, I think we've, we've covered everything. I think, you know, I just reiterate the point I, I made earlier. I just I, I, I strongly believe that, uh, you know, as a company, we should be in, encouraging, uh, you know, the, the European policymakers and, and and whoever to be looking at the whole picture, not just one part of the 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 energy market. We need to be looking at the day ahead market, the the within day ancillary services as as one interconnected uh, mechanism for delivering electricity, and not just singling 
them out individually and, and, and not considering them as a whole. And why is that important? Let me just follow on on that. Why is it important to consider them together versus as individual pieces? Because I think we need to make sure that the, the, the capacity that we have on the system can meet the needs of, of all of those components. And I think at the moment within Europe, we still have capacity that is that 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 comes on and, and and may meet the needs from a day ahead basis, but cannot provide the sort of balancing and ancillary services um, uh, requirements that the, the grid is also uh, also requires. And I think one example of that is again from a UK perspective is the capacity market, which is entirely linked to, to capacity at the day ahead. So we're we're paying generation to to stay on the system, uh, older, less efficient. Uh, Generation to, to be available at, at you know at times of system stress, but there, if we were looking at the total system, I believe there might be a more cost-effective approach whereby um, you know perhaps uh, newer, more flexible generation could be incentivised uh, and, and and meet those those needs, and the overall system costs uh, potentially could be lower than if, if we just look at at a day ahead. Well, Steve, thanks so much for your time today. This has been great. Um, and we look forward to hearing from everybody, seeing everybody else. I keep saying hearing because we're on the podcast here. But I look forward to seeing everybody else the next time on our next EC Insights podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Jason.